0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready to hear God's Word. All right, some of you are ready and some of us are not. We've been uh, sitting there for quite a while, but We want to finish off or continue on our sermon series called Stephas and the Book of Ruth. And uh, we're here now on our second to last part of the series. And uh, next week we'll finish off and then we'll start a new sermon series after that. But I know that so many of us have been blessed by uh, just everything that God has been doing or teaching us through this season. Um, And just a really brief recap of what we've been talking about through Ruth so far. Uh, We've been going through this series and talking about God's providence, talking about how God really allows us to elevate our expectations of Him. We've been talking about how God provides for us and allows us to have uh, greater just depth in our relationships with one another, ultimately by trusting in Him. And it all encapsulates and it comes through this uh, character and the study of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz as their lives come together in, in God's plan. And so, as we go into this passage, we're going to look at uh, just the last chapter, the first 12 verses of Ruth. So you can turn to Ruth 4. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And then if you haven't downloaded the mobile app already, you can go ahead and do that. It has some fill-in-the-blank notes that you can follow along with. And as we go into this section, uh, we, we talked about, we already saw how, you know, Ruth came back uh, to the land with Naomi and they, she met Boaz in the in the fields, and then they were blessing her, and she got all this grain, and then she laid out Boaz's feet, and then, you know, sparks flew, and people got excited, and then now uh, Boaz told her, just wait, and then see what will happen, because he's now going to do something different. That's where we pick up, and we talk about this whole idea of redemption, and as we go into this idea of redemption, I wanted to ask us a question, is if we could change ourselves to look differently, to Photoshop ourselves, to look better than what we see ourselves in the mirror every single day, would we actually do that? If, if you had some kind of automatic generator, now they have all this artificial intelligence apps, right? Face app, and you could change yourself to look like someone else or a celebrity or something like that. Would you do that? For every photo you posted of yourself, you know, on social media or of your family, would you actually do that? And uh, it, it, it shows a lot about what we see of ourselves and how we try to present ourselves, what we try to do about our own lives uh, when, it comes up, when it comes to presenting ourselves in public. And I wanted to show this video. It's a, a video about uh, just three women that were invited to do a model photo shoot. Just three regular women who were invited to do a model photo shoot. And um, what they did was they Photoshopped all the photos to make them look amazing. And just to get their idea, just to get their expectation of how they felt and what their responses were. And it's, it's quite interesting to see what they have to say about the transformation or the edits that were done and how they felt about that. So let's watch this video together. All right. I think uh, when we see that video, it's, it's quite a heartwarming video, right? Like, be yourself, be comfortable in your own skin. Um, but even right after the women saw the, the images, uh, when they first, after they had their eyes closed and they were shown the images, like, whoa, right? And, it, and, and even though ultimately the, the end message or the moral of the story is just be who you are, right? Be comfortable in your own skin. I think many of us, we would agree with the women on the surface but maybe somewhere deep down inside, some of us, we might be thinking, oh, if only I could just change this little thing. If only I could just be a little bit skinnier or a little bit fairer or a little bit taller or a little bit buffer, stronger, a little bit whatever more. And um, you know, I don't know if practically we would say, okay, let me Photoshop every single one of my Uh, Images, Pastor Bo, that would be so superficial of me. Like, I would never do that. Um, But I want to propose to us that when it comes to image, we might not really be for Photoshopping ourselves in every single day. But in different ways in our lives, we actually Photoshop ourselves. We Photoshop our lives. We Photoshop our futures. We Photoshop our relationships in small ways every single day. It might not be our physical appearance but it could be our career, it could be our family, it could be our kids. We take the life that we have and we try to make small adjustments, we present it in a certain way to live or to capture the life that we really want deep inside. Why? Why? Because we all want better lives. Who doesn't want a better life? Who doesn't want their life to be a little bit better, for them to be a little bit stronger, to be a little bit healthier? to be that much more social or have that many more friends. We all want that. But the question is, for us this morning, is what's the best way to attain that life that we're all looking for? And what I want to do, my goal for us, or my goal this morning, is to show us that we all have an innate desire to fix ourselves. We all have an innate innate desire to save ourselves but that that innate desire is the very thing that will hinder us or prevent us from experiencing the blessings of God. And that's what we see in this passage, uh, two different men, Boaz and the Redeemer, and two different approaches to fixing or saving or accomplishing or attaining something in life. And we see there two different approaches and how they actually move forward. So I want us to just start with uh, reading verse 1 through 3 in Ruth 4. Hopefully you've turned to it by now. And uh, let's go ahead and just read uh, Ruth 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders and of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I'll stop right there. And uh, in this short couple of verses, we see they're at the gate of the town. And, you know, it was a town of Bethlehem. It couldn't have been such a huge town. So people were just coming and going and Boaz places himself there because he knew that elders would be there. He knew uh, that's where that other redeemer would be. And he also knew that Uh, That was where business and legal transactions typically took place in that time in Israel. And just for uh, those of us who have been following along, we remember back in last week or last times when we talked about Ruth chapter 3, Boaz had mentioned to Ruth that there is another redeemer closer than he. So Ruth had approached Boaz to say, hey, please cover me with your wings, right? Like she, she was like this at his feet. And she said, essentially, she's saying, please marry me and take care of me. And so Boaz is saying, wait, there's another redeemer closer than I. We see that Ruth 3, verses 12 to 13. And Boaz says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and then in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down in the morning. So many of us got really excited by Ruth laying there and, you know, we got excited about relationships and we talked about it this past week. Now it's Boaz's turn to do his part. So he gets up and he goes to the gate and now we see that Naomi, he talks about Naomi is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Well, for us to understand this whole idea of redemption, which is connected back to that topic that I talked about, sometimes we, we try to fix our lives because Naomi and Ruth's lives, they were in need of fixing. They were in need of redemption. There were laws in that time that governed this whole process of redemption. We mentioned it in previous messages, but I wanted to remind us in Leviticus 25, verses 23 to 25, it says, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity. And this is talking about any land that was given to the Israelites in the promised land. For the land is mine. And this is God speaking. So God is saying, the land is his. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So here we see land was very significant to the people of Israel. Why? Because... The land was God's. God gave them a promise. He said, this is the promised land. This is your inheritance. Back in you know Exodus and then uh, the Deuteronomy and then when they finally were in the promised land in Joshua, we see the land was distributed among the different tribes in Israel. And because the land was God's, it talks about how the land should not be sold in perpetuity. That means that the land should remain according to the tribe and according to the family that owned it. That was important because why? God apportioned it to that family. So land was a significant part of their identity as God's people. And I think many of us, we can relate to this, right? If, if, you, if someone just gave you a flat for free in Hong Kong, you'd be like, praise the Lord, right? That would be very important to you. Why? Because it's your, it's your source of sustenance. It's, it's a roof over your head. And for the Israelite people, it's their identity of who they are as a family. It's their, it's their means of survival to farm the land, to grow crops, to sell, and to purchase different things. And so this law here, where it talks about redemption, redemption in that time was the process of restoring the land to God's original intent. So in the case where something happened, that, that person was poor, and that person, there was a famine, things They they couldn't afford to live anymore. They had to sell the land or they had to give up different possessions in order to sustain themselves. Then there was this process of redemption by which their family could purchase back the land to keep the land within their family. And so the whole idea of redeeming was to restore, to keep the land as God had apportioned to whichever family that he had given it to. So what happened in Naomi and Ruth's life? They needed to be redeemed. They went to Moab back when there was a famine. They Naomi lost her husband. Ruth lost her husband. And so they came back to Bethlehem with nothing. And so now they're in the land but poor without support. Widows in that land were considered destitute. And they were desperately in need of redemption. They were desperately in need of help. They had not much to be able to support themselves with. And some of us, we might be thinking, this is, this is an old law, Pastor Bo. This is a Levitical law. Like, what does a Levitical law of redemption have anything to do with me and my situation today? Uh, you know, I don't know how many of us, we actually own a home in Hong Kong. Even if we wanted to, we probably couldn't afford it, right? But we're actually no different than Naomi and Ruth in many, many ways. We're actually no different because in so many ways, while for Ruth and Naomi their redemption was for the land and for their prosperity and for their sustenance. For us, our redemption is to recreate us to be back into the place that God wants us to be. So for Ruth and Naomi, it was restoring them back to the the family land that they had been part of, to have a husband, to carry on the name, to, to have offspring in the future. But for us, we were separated. We were cut off from our original design and from our original purpose. That's sin. That for us is is brokenness in our lives, family estrangements, relational difficulties, financial difficulties. We've sinned, so there's, there's a relationship with God that we've been separated from. And in many ways, we also need redemption in the same way that Ruth and Naomi need redemption. And if we don't have a Redeemer, then we have no hope. Just like Ruth and Naomi, if they don't have a Redeemer, they didn't have hope. And similar for our lives, if we don't have a Redeemer, then there is no hope for us to live out the original plan and purposes that God has planned for us. So how do we see that? There's, there's two different scenarios or two different paths that this passage actually pre- presents to us for how we actually can access or how we actually can see this redemption happening in our lives. There's uh, behind door number one, the Redeemer. So... Guy number one, and behind door number two, there's Boaz, right? So we have a little game show going on uh, in a relationship. So let's look at verses four to six, and what I'm going to do is, in this message, I'm going to just talk about first the Redeemer, and then I'm going to talk about Boaz and compare and contrast how these two different views of looking at redemption really changes and can allow us to be restored to what God has originally planned for us. So read verse four through six Uh, It says, So I thought, this is Boaz speaking, So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, and he's speaking to the Redeemer, If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire the Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. So we're going to look at the Redeemer and look at his process of redemption, his role as a Redeemer, but also what he puts his own hope in. What he hopes will ultimately bring him safety and security in his own life. So a couple of things. What do we notice about the Redeemer? First thing, we see that he is prompted by Boaz. So back in Ruth chapters 1 through 3, we see that when Naomi and Ruth came back, a lot of people realized and saw uh, and recognized Naomi because she had been there previously and it wasn't a huge town. And it seems that for whatever reason, it took some time. You know, Ruth was already in, in doing the gleaning of the harvest. She was there for some time. Boaz had heard about her and what she had done for her mother. So for whatever reason, this Redeemer had not taken the initiative to be able to purchase the land. Or maybe Naomi hadn't said, I'm going to sell it yet. But for whatever reason, Boaz is the one who prompted the Redeemer. And, and that brings up a couple questions. Why is it the Redeemer that, who is the has the immediate right to redemption, why doesn't he take that proactive step? Why is it Boaz that has to be the one who prompts him to be able to do that. Second thing we notice is that the redeemer initially agrees to redeem the land. He initially agrees to redeem the land. He doesn't say much. We don't hear much from him, but he says four words. I will redeem it. A man of very few words, but they're very powerful. Right? He initially agrees to redeem the land, but then what happens? We see that he changes his mind. And I think it's in his changing of mind that we notice certain things about him and his thought process and what he puts his values in when someone changes their mind immediately that just it should throw up some red flags or at least yellow flags on what is going through that person's process i mean this happens to me all the time i'm at home and uh you know we're we're in the living room the air conditioning's on and my wife will come in and be like aren't you cold and the living in the air conditioning blasting i'm like no and then like 10 seconds later, I turn off the air conditioning. <laughs> it just gives me this dirty look. <laughs> Why do not you say something? And, and I realize something is off. Right? Something is off when you, you say something, you commit to something, you do something, and then you immediately change your mind immediately after. So that's what I want to look at when we look at the Redeemer's perspective, when we look at his value system of what was going through, his perspective. So why does the Redeemer change his mind? What does it show about him? We see that Boaz, the reason why he changes his mind, the only thing that happened between the time he says, I will redeem it, to when he says, I cannot redeem it, is that Boaz reminds him that he will also acquire Ruth in verse 5. I'll just read it again. It says, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the na- name of the dead in his inheritance. This language, it reminds us of another law back in those times from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, verse 5 to 6. I'll read it to us in the New International Version. It says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of the brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And so this must have been in the Redeemer's mind when Boaz mentions this, and he uses that language in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Essentially what he's saying is, hey, as soon as you purchase, you redeem this land, what's going to happen? You also need to redeem, and you also need to marry Ruth. Why? Because according to Israelite law, your role as the kinsman redeemer was to carry on your dead brother's inheritance. And, you know, you can tell, just I mean, just imagining in that passage probably calculating, calculating and thinking, okay, that means I'm going to have to marry Ruth. That means Elimelech, who is, you know, Naomi's old husband who passed away. That means I'm going to have to pass on that inheritance to whatever future sons that I have with Ruth. That means, oh, my sons might not be able to get the full inheritance that I originally had planned for them, right? And it's is going back and forth, and you're thinking, oh, I, I can't marry this woman anymore because of family issues and inheritance issues. It's like a Korean drama, right? Like, we fall in love, but then, like, we can't do it because families have issues, or you find out that you're long-lost brother and sister, or something like that, right? Something weird. But for this guy, it's like he's calculating, and he's like, oh, no, this is not going to work because the inheritance is at stake. And we see he reveals his cards and he shows, he, he shows that the Redeemer is concerned that he might impair his own inheritance. What does that show about him? I want to read that, that wording in a couple of different translations. Then Amplified, it says, because by marrying a Moabitess, I would jeopardize my own inheritance. In the International Children's Bible, sometimes gets, you get some insights from that. It says, I might lose what I can pass on to my own sons. And then in the HCSB, it says, or I will ruin my own inheritance. So we see here, when he finds out that he's got to marry Ruth and that it's going to impact his inheritance, all of a sudden, all these different concerns that he hadn't thought about in the beginning start to come up. And he's afraid of jeopardizing. He's afraid of losing. He's afraid of ruining something that was his. So what's that calculation going on? He, he's, he's, Therefore, he's saying, okay, I can't do this. Even though it's the law, I, I'm not going to care for my family because why? Because it's going to impact me. I stand something to lose here if I make this transaction. I don't know how many of us are like this. We're very calculating. Anytime we have a decision, anytime that we are presented with an opportunity, we... Instead of, we, instead of really thinking through, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? Like, we do one of two things, right? We, we, either, we either hesitate and we don't say anything because, or sorry, the, the first example is that first we might say yes, but then pull back later on we change our mind. Say, oh, yeah, actually, no, that's actually not good for me. So uh, we go back on our word. And so in that sense, we're not people of integrity because, you know, we might commit to something, but then when we realize how it's gonna impact us, then we back out. We say, oh, I can't do this. You know, it's Simple things like you commit to meeting someone at a certain time, and then something comes up, right? Whether it's that other meetup, or that other hangout that's more fun, or uh, your homework assignment, or your exam, or whatever, you name it. That comes up and you're like, oh, sorry, I can't do that. And then you break off that word that you said that you committed to. Or some of us are a little bit smarter, And so we never commit to anything and we protect ourselves. Why? Because if we commit to anything then we realize, oh, because I'm waiting for something better to come up or I'm afraid I'm going to lose something if I commit to this. And many of us, we have this kind of calculating mindset because we want the best deal for ourselves or we're afraid of losing something. And it's this sense of losing something that drives us. It's a sense of, Uh, What if, or if if this happens, then, you know, what am I going to lose out on that drives us, that motivates us, that forces us to make certain decisions? And for for this guy, the ironic part is, in this whole passage, you know what he's called? He's called the Redeemer. (laughs) I didn't even notice that. He's never given a name. I don't know if he's like the name who shall, the person who shall not be named, but He's just mentioned as the Redeemer. So he was supposed to be the one who redeems. But because of these issues, because of his sense of, oh, I'm going to lose these things or it's going to ruin my own inheritance or I cannot because of these things, he cannot, he does not play out the role that he is supposed to play. And and I think for many of us, we, we fall into the same category. We fall into the same category of God, how can, I, how can I get more for myself? How can I not lose as much? How can I protect what, what little that I have? And we, we start thinking things like, oh, should, I, I should care for myself more first. I, I got to make sure that my needs are cared for. I got to make sure that I get enough sleep. I got to make sure that my finances are doing well before I could do anything for anyone else. But we don't realize that it's with that kind of self-first mentality that we miss out on the good things that God wants to give us. And it's not just material things, it's just in our attitude, our perspective. I, I remember I, um, I have a very bad relationship with playing guitar. Me and guitar, we just go way back, and then we, we have like a lot of history, uh, especially on missions trips. So there was a time when uh, I was on a missions trip and we were in Indonesia. And my, and I would, for whatever reason, I, and now looking back, it was God's providence in terms of like exposing my issues. But I was uh, appointed by some higher being or higher power to play guitar on the missions project. And, uh, and I struggled a lot because I was like, I don't really know how. I've never been part of the worship team, I've only played for Life Group here and there a little bit. But I, you know, I had to play every single day for the missions team when we would like have you know morning devotionals or like team sessions in the evening and i remember like my main goal and i was like okay you know because i'm appointed i want to i want to figure out this guitar thing and so my my main focus my main goal was get this guitar playing right do it in the perfect way and so i would get feedback from the team leader and i'll constantly be practicing on my own and the whole trip i mean i was making some certain improvements along the way The whole trip, I was so consumed with just playing guitar the right way that I totally missed out on everything else. And I remember this one time where we were playing, um, we were closing on the mission trip, we had guests over, and I was playing guitar, and I was like, okay, I got these rules, I got all the principles down, and like all the signals or all the things that I thought I had learned just went out the door because we had guests over, and I was just frozen because I wasn't sure in that moment during we were having like a prayer gathering I was just playing, and I was, I was trying my best. Like, don't mess up. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. That's all I could think about. And in the process, I, I think we just played. Like, it was one of those prayer gatherings where like, there's no direction. The guitar player is just playing, and everyone's kind of like looking around, like, what's going on? And the more that happened, the more I got nervous. And the more I got nervous, the more I would just keep playing louder and longer. And then you, know, you could tell people were starting to go, like, what's going on? <laughs> Why does this guy keep playing? And then after the prayer gathering ended, finally, it was like the longest prayer gathering of my entire life. I was like, this cannot go any longer. It was was like only about 40 minutes or something like that. Afterward, I I talked with a team leader, and and he just asked me a couple questions. And ultimately, what I realized was I was so focused on trying to fix or correct or perfect my guitar playing. I totally missed out on what God was trying to do during that prayer gathering. I had no idea what God was potentially trying to say to people, what he was trying to minister to them for. And all I was doing was so ingrained on getting myself better to a place that I could say, oh, I've done my guitar playing well. And I just realized in that moment when we were in like different islands in Indonesia and there was no light, so you could see the stars. I was like, Lord, like looking up the stars, like, Lord, woe is me. What have I done? And I just, in that moment, I I think God was just speaking to me saying, hey, it's, When you try to fix your own life, when you try to focus so much on what you don't have and try to make up or compensate for that, that's when you totally miss out on the blessings of God. That's when you totally miss out on what God has for you or in store for you and what he's looking out for you for. And I'm wondering for many of us, if we are constantly trying to make up for what we feel like we don't have. We're trying to Photoshop our lives, right? Like cut off a little bit here, like make up for a little bit here, and then present ourselves in a way that we think is going to p- create or pre- or have or manipulate or mold the best life that we possibly could dream of without realizing it's that very manipulation or that control or that calculation that is present- preventing us from actually just experiencing and countering God for ourselves and for other people. I mean, we see this in the Redeemer, If we were to ask ourselves, who is the Redeemer's Redeemer? Who did the Redeemer put his hope in? Or what did he put his hope in? It wasn't God. It was in his inheritance. It was in his property. It was in his land. And he missed out on maybe something that God had for him in the future. We forget in Deuteronomy 8, he might have remembered that law of perpetuating the inheritance, but he forgot about this one in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 to 18. It says, you may say for yourself my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. He forgot that everything that we have, it comes from God. Everything that we get, it comes from God. So instead of having this losing mentality, this fixing mentality, that we ought to trust in God, believing that he gives us everything that we need. It says a similar in Luke 19, Luke 9, verse 24 to 25. It says, forever who wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jim Elliot says this really famous quote, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I want to challenge and ask us, how about us? Are we more concerned with saving ourselves, fixing ourselves, calculating our lives, making it perfect so that we can get what we want? Or are there other things? Maybe do we recognize that our redeemers What we put our hope in, what we put our salvation in, is really going to disappoint us. It's really going to let us down. But it's only when we put our hope in Christ that we will see real hope. So that's the Redeemer. Let's look at now Boaz. Let's look at the example of Boaz. Let's read verses 9 through 10. It says, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of Naomi.'" All that belonged to Lemelech, and all that have belonged to Chilion and Mahlon, and also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have brought, bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Let's see what kind of redeemer Boaz was. What do we notice about Boaz? We see that he makes two statements. The first statement is that him talking about how he buys the land to fulfill the redemption of the land. So according to the Leviticus law in chapter 25. Second statement he makes in verse 10, where he's talking about Ruth, he says he intends to marry Ruth to perpetuate the name of the family, which is also in accordance with the Deuteronomy law that we read just earlier. So we notice that Boaz, he fulfills the law, the redemptive law that talked about redeeming not only the land, but also the family name and the inheritance and the offspring for the future. And one thing that we notice, I mean, part of it could have been just formality, but we recognize that when Boaz is talking about what he's planning on doing, his statements, in his statements, he makes it very clear what he intends to do and how it's in line with the law that God has prescribed. He very specifically talks about how he is now bought the land that all that belonged to Elimelech Antillian, and Chilion and Tamalan. And then he also very specifically says to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Well, what do we see about Boaz's attitude and his perspective of who he is as a redeemer as he fulfills these laws? We recognize that Boaz, ultimately, he trusts God. Ultimately, he trusts God. Like the, his response to this whole redemption is totally opposite of the Redeemer that we just saw. I mean, one big difference, of course, is that Boaz actually redeems it. But not only that, he's not worried about, oh, am I going to lose this? He's not worried about, like, oh, if I redeem this, then these things are going to happen to me. His main concern is that he's going to fulfill, he's going to participate, he's going to be in line with the purposes of God for Ruth and Naomi as their kinsman redeemer. He doesn't see this, like, like he doesn't approach this redemption like, oh, I guess I, because you're not going to do it, I guess I have to. And because I'm next in line, then I got to take upon this, you know, it's a it's a sunk cost, so I might as well just go through it. Like somebody, we have this sunk cost mindset, right? Where where we, we're not like the redeemer saying like, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to protect myself. And, you know, I'm going to have my own. But we're, we're in this other boat. We're saying, okay, God, I'm going to obey you. But, man, obeying you, it's going to cost me a lot. And, man, this life is going to suck because obeying you is such a drag. Okay, I know none of you say that, right, in person. You're like, no, Pastor, well, I don't say that. But in our minds or in our actions, that's how we approach our faith. How many of us, we're, we, we say things like, oh, I have to read the Bible. Or how many of us, we think, oh, God, I have to go to life group today. Or like, oh, I have to, oh, it's, it's the offering song again, I have to give. If I don't give, then, you know, people are going to see I'm not coming out of my seat to go to the little offering box and I'm not putting my envelope in. And people are going to see me and they're going to look at me and they're going to judge me. We, we have this like sunk cost mindset or this I have to or this obligatory mindset as if, obeying God is a chore as if obeying God is taking something away from us and we give it to God and we get nothing in return or God has not given anything to us but I'm wondering if we would flip our perspective instead of thinking of it like I have to or this is something that's going to cost me if we saw things with Boaz's perspective instead to say no Actually, by obeying God, I trust that God is my redeemer. That's essentially what Boaz was saying. Boaz is saying, I trust that by obeying the law, that God is going to provide for everything that I need, everything that I I desire, everything that I hope for, everything that is going to come in the future. God is my ultimate redemption. Yes, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. But God is the redeemer for Boaz and his whole family line." And I'm wondering if we would get out of this mindset of, oh, I just have to obey because God requires of this, uh, this of me. And it's a loss to me, and I somehow got to make it up for in other areas of my life. Because I got to spend this time praying or I got to go to life group, then I got to work so much harder in these other three hours that I have so that I can still get ahead of my job. Some of us are so consumed with our careers that we miss out. Or, or we're, so, we're so fixated on time. Time is our redemption. Time is our redeemer. And we don't think that God is our redeemer. So then every single moment in time, we fill it with something. And because we fill it with something, we're so stingy with our time that we can't really love people well. We can't really see what God wants to do with just being available to serve someone else, to love someone else. I'm wondering if we would switch our perspective as we look at who God is. Let's see what happens in light of that. So Boaz trusts in God, and in light of Boaz trusting in God and actually making that redemption, we see in verses 11 to 12 what the ultimate result was, and we'll close out with this last part. Read verse 11 to 12. So then all the people who were at the gate and the elder says, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So after Boaz makes his statements, the people, part of it again is formality to affirm that this purchase happened, the redemption happened, uh, and that it was publicly witnessed by everyone. But the people of the gate make three statements and these statements show us what the response is after Boaz uh, makes or takes a step of faith. The first one that they talk about, and they say, may the Lord bless Ruth to be like Rachel and Leah. So Rachel and Leah, uh, if we don't know, uh, were pretty much the matriarchs of the people of of the Jewish people. They were uh, the ones who uh, had those six children who became the tribes of Israel. And so they are known as these people who essentially were the mothers of the Jewish people. And so for the people to say, may the Lord bless Ruth to be like Rachel and Leah, is an incredible statement. Ruth, who is a Moabite woman, she's a foreign woman, to now be compared to the matriarch of the whole people of Israel is is an incredible comparison. Incredible comparison. Even if it was just, quote-unquote, a formality, an incredible blessing for Boaz and for Ruth. The second statement they, they mentioned, it said, may God give you wealth and power and fame. In that, in that verse, it talks about, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And other translation talks about wealth. It talks about power. It talks about fame. And then the third statement that is mentioned, it says, may your house be like Perez. And Perez Uh, For those of us who may know the story of Tamar and Judah, Tamar was also a widow because her husband also died, and Judah was her father-in-law. And even though there were a lot of sin in that situation, Judah did not treat her well. uh, But through different circumstances, uh, Tamar ended up uh, having children with Judah, which allowed Judah's line to be continued on. And that actually saved the line of Judah. Judah had a couple other sons, but through Tamar was Judah's line, who was one of the main tribes of Israel, who's also the same tribe that King David came from, allowed his line to continue on. And so as they say, may your house, house be like Perez, what they're saying is, and actually Boaz also came from that same line. So in that sense, they're, they're venerating him, and they're saying, may you be Blessed. May you be overwhelmed with God's provision, God's love, his His bountiful provision, everything that you need. And and we see this and we realize none of this was spoken to the redeemer, the quote unquote redeemer who was supposed to redeem everything. Why? Because he missed out on that opportunity. He missed out on the blessings. He missed out on all the things that God wanted to do through Ruth. But we see as Boaz is able to take the step of faith, And he says, I will redeem it, I will fulfill, I will be part of what God is doing in the lives of these women. That we recognize that God actually blesses him through the pronouncement of these people. And they prophesy and they allude to the future that the offspring will actually be someone or some people of high esteem. Used by God for something great and incredible, which we'll talk about in the last couple of verses next week. We see that, if we see that God is our Redeemer, then we get a completely different response compared to if we see these worldly things as our Redeemer. And that's what I wanna challenge us with this morning, is can we say, God, you are my Redeemer? Can we look not toward the world, can we look toward Christ as our Redeemer? Because Christ is our ultimate Redeemer. Boaz was the kinsman Redeemer for Ruth, but Christ, Jesus Christ, was the ultimate Boaz. And he is the ultimate Boaz kinsman redeemer for us. Because like I mentioned in the beginning, we all need redemption. We all, we're not, at some point, we are not in a place where we want to be. There are things in our lives that are not as God intended us to have it. Our relationships are not as God intended it to be. Our financial situation is not as God intended it to be. Our perspective, the way that we relate to people, our faith is not as God intended it to be. But the only way, that we can be restored to things that w- the ways that God has intended it to be for us is if we put our hope in Christ, who is our ultimate Redeemer. That is the good news of the book of Ruth. Is it is the same good news of the good news of Jesus Christ. That in Colossians, verse 1, 21 to 22, in the New Living Translation says, This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Again, we were not in the place that we were supposed to be. We, we sinned, we fell short of him. We are separated from God because of our evil thoughts, our evil actions, the brokenness we see in this world. And then in verse 22, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That is the good news of Christ. That though we were once separated from Him by our evil thoughts, our evil desires, everything that's messed up in this world that we cannot fix, in our, no matter how much we, again, try to Photoshop our lives, no matter how much we try to fix it, no matter how much we try to make this adjustment or get this job or get this promotion or get this relationship or find this you know, grade or exam or whatever it is, we cannot get the life that we hope for. We just can't. And I know some of us, we're still in that place of, you're still trying. And somewhere along the line, you're going to realize, I can't. Other of us are already there. We're we're feeling hopeless and we're like, God, I've been trying all these things and I can't. That's where the good news is here for us, is the only way we can find that hope. The only way that we can, our lives can be redeemed is if we look to Christ is if we say, Christ, you are my ultimate hope. You are bigger, you are greater than these material things. And because you have promised here in your word that you have brought me into your own presence you are, and that I am now holy and blameless, you love me, my needs are met, I am emotionally, spiritually cared for, that I believe that you will provide for me physically, financially, that now I can trust in you and now that I have this hope and I have this peace, now that totally changes my life. And that's my hope and my prayer for us, that we will put our hope in Christ, that we will put our hope in Christ as our Redeemer. That as we do that, that we will believe, instead of trying to fix our own lives, that we will be able to trust in God to work through different things in our lives. So that's why our one thing for this morning is that if we want to live like a life that is greater, then Christ must be our ultimate Redeemer. If we have any hope for life beyond just the difficulties, the struggles, the pains of what we experience every single day, then we have to look to Christ as our redemption. Can't look to anything else. I want to give us some quick next steps as we close out this morning. The first one is just admit areas of your life where you're afraid to lose something. Just admit it. Just confess it. It just starts with acknowledging or realizing or recognizing. That's the first step to any kind of change in perspective. We have to admit or recognize first for ourselves. And that might mean you have to talk with someone because it might be hard to really discover some of those things in our own lives. So I want to encourage you, talk with your LCGs, talk with someone in your life group and ask them, you know, are, there, are there areas that you notice that I'm constantly thinking about what I can lo- what I'm losing rather than what I'm putting my hope into? That's the first thing. Second thing, commit to trust God in those areas through prayer. Commit to trusting God in those areas through prayer. I think some of us we've been trying so many different things. But I'm wondering how many of us, we actually sat down and said, God, I want to trust in you by praying. I, I want to actually lift up prayers, both of repentance and also of just need, to say, God, these are the things that I need, and I don't know where I'm going to get it. And I'm wondering if God will just meet us in that time. And some of us, we have a little bit more time during the summer. What about taking a day, half day, quarter, even just an hour to set aside and just say, God, I just want to be in your presence and I want to believe that you're my redeemer and all I need is you. And so commit to trust God in those areas through prayer. And the lastly is obey God by loving others selflessly. Obey God by loving others selflessly. As we experience these things, as we trust in Christ as our redeemer, that we can't help but living out just as Boaz did, to be able to give of ourselves, to be able to be like Christ, who gave himself for all, all of us. He didn't withhold anything back. And likewise, he calls us to then give of ourselves to those around us, so others around us may experience the love and see Christ as their redeemers as well. And I'm praying, I heard this past week, there, there were a number of just praises of people accepting Christ. That that's amazing, that's awesome. But you can imagine, and hopefully we're going to be able to hear some of those testimonies at baptism, those things can't happen unless someone proactively sacrifices, gives, loves, and shows people love of a different kind, a different kind of care than what they can experience out in the world. For us to be able to say, God, I trust in you as my Redeemer, now I'm going to proactively love someone, I'm going to care for someone, I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to, even though I'm, I'm, I'm tight on finances or even though I'm tight on time or even though there are things going on in my life, I can still love and care for someone so that they can know the hope of Christ. Let's do that. Not only this week, but let's do that even as we look toward OCR in the coming season. So with that, uh, let's stand together. Let's respond as we make Christ our ultimate redeemer. Just start with spending some time in, in just introspection and just that first point, just admitting areas of our lives where we might just be afraid to lose something or we might be trying to fix, we might be trying to be guarding our, our own lives or I use that metaphor of trying to Photoshop different areas of our lives or trying to manipulate or calculate Let's just start there and just begin confessing and praying, just telling God, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been trying to save my life so much, but I don't recognize that by trying to save my life so much that really I'm losing it. It's only by losing my life for you, Father, that I'm actually going to be able to see real life, real hope, real peace. I want to encourage us, that's just a simple step that we can just take this this morning. Just to admit that to God. Come before Him. And just begin to pray whatever it is that we're holding on to. Say, God, open my hands. I want to let go of these things. Can we just do that? Can we just spend a couple moments in prayer just confessing admitting those things? And let's let God really speak to us and encourage us. Sometimes we, you know, we can't get our hearts to do it but it's only by his spirit that he's going to allow us to let go. So can we just do that just for the next couple moments? Let's come before God. Let's admit the things that we're holding on to. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.